Welcome to Sunday Sermons from the Williamsburg Community Chapel, brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. Let's grab our Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Psalms, chapter 1, and I'll read verses 1 and 2 for us now as we prepare to hear from lead pastor Travis Simone as he helps us kick off our annual focus titled Follow Me by looking at the first discipline of worship. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Last week, we began our annual focus with Jesus' words from Mark chapter 8, verse 34. If anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Jesus calls people to discipleship with just two words, follow me. He doesn't say, read this. He doesn't say, study that. He doesn't say, take this class or change your major. Why not? because you'll never know who Jesus is until you follow Jesus where he goes. You'll never know who Jesus is unless you follow Jesus where he goes. And where he's going is the cross. There's quite a bit of risk involved in responding to Jesus's call, follow me. There's quite a bit of surrender involved in responding to Jesus' call, follow me. There's quite a bit of pain, danger, and ultimately at the end of responding to Jesus' call, follow me, is death. Reflecting on these realities, our previous pastor, Bill Warwick, through whom God used to build so much of what we enjoy today, Our previous pastor, Bill, he used to say, there's no such thing as a strong Christian. I I remember when I first started attending the chapel as a freshman in college with my wife, Nina. We weren't married then. We were just friends. Didn't get married that young. We were just friends at the time. But we would drive out the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we used to sit in the back row. And I remember hearing Bill say, there's no such thing as a strong Christian. And Nina turning to me and saying, I went to Christian high school. My whole life, all I've heard is, be a strong Christian. Become a stronger Christian. You can do it. She goes, I've never heard anyone say anything like that in my life. It exploded her paradigm of what it meant to follow Jesus. Because what Bill was getting at is there's no Christian strong enough to pick up his or her own cross. What we need are disciplines that help us abide more deeply in Jesus Christ 
and make us more aware of his constant abiding in us so that it is Christ in us who picks up the cross and follows Jesus where he goes. And so this year, we'll be studying five disciplines for disciples, not disciplines to make us stronger Christians, because there is no such thing as a strong Christian, but disciplines that help us know who Jesus is by following him where he goes in these aspects of Jesus's life, worshiping. Waiting, offering, listening, and sending. And so let's begin by following Jesus into worship in our fall series on the Psalms and see if Jesus won't just be formed more deeply in us so that Christ in us picks up the cross and follows Jesus where he goes. So as we begin this series on worship, here's my question for us. In worship, what comes first? In worship, what comes first? What is the priority? What initiates our worship? There are a few options for how we could answer this question. The first one is probably how most of contemporary Christian culture answers the question. Our feelings. Maybe it's our feelings that come first in worship. And I will say, while I think contemporary Christian culture has gone overboard when it comes to their uh, focus on feelings in worship, it's not that our feelings are unimportant in worship. The Psalms honor our feelings as God's people worship together. Did you know that one third of all the Psalms are Psalms of lament, Psalms that deal with the deepest human emotions? It's more, there are more Psalms of lament than any other types of Psalm in the Psalter. Words like Psalm 38, nine, oh Lord, all my longing is before you. My sighing is not hidden from you. There's some deep emotion right there. I'm putting it all out there for you. God, all my longing is before you. Or Psalm 88, 18. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my closest friend. This is a person going through a deep, moment of difficulty in life. And he just cries out, darkness, that's all I have left. Darkness is my closest friend. It's a professor out at Fuller Theological Seminary who wrote a wonderful book on the Psalms. Uh, When he's talking about Psalms of lament, I love how he puts it. He says, the Psalms make it possible to say things that are otherwise unsayable. Now, while Psalms honor the widest possible range of human emotions in worship, our feelings don't come first in worship. Option two, our thanksgiving. There are many psalms of of thanksgiving in the Psalter. Thanksgiving psalms 
Praise God for what he has done. Psalm 30, verses 11 and 12. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. In this Psalm, the person says, God, you've transformed my life. I was mourning, now I'm dancing. I was wearing funeral clothes. Now I'm wearing party clothes. I'll give you thanks for the rest of my life. I'll respond to the good things you have done, how you have rescued me. And while the Psalms remind us to respond with gratitude for God's saving grace, God's steadfast love, thanksgiving does not come first in worship. It's not our feelings. It's not our thanksgiving. You might think, I've got it. It's got to be our praise. Our praise, that's it. That's what comes first in worship. And let me tell you, there is a lot of praise, psalms of praise uh, in in this book. Uh, the, The most powerful, I think, comes at the end of the book, where from Psalm 46 to Psalm 50, you just get this litany of just unleashed, Praise. Every psalm from Psalm 146 to Psalm 150 starts with the same Hebrew word, hallelujah, which means praise the Lord. Psalm 46, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Psalm 47, praise the Lord, for he is good. It is good to sing praises to our God, for it is pleasant, and the song of praise is fitting. Psalm 148, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Psalm 149, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of the godly. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him from his mighty heavens. And if you wanna know what the last word in the book of Psalms is, you may have guessed it. Hallelujah. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Psalm uh, well, and while praise may be the ultimate crescendo, to use a musical term, it may be the great, big, grand ending of the book of Psalms. Believe it or not, praise is not what comes first in worship. Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. Psalm 1 contains nothing, not a word about our feelings. There is not a hint of gratitude for what God has accomplished in this world. And there is no praise for who God is, no praise for God's character. You see, in worship, God's word comes first. That's what comes first in the book of Psalms. In worship, God's word comes first. Look again at verse two of our passage. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. 
The Hebrew word for law is most certainly one of the top 10 Hebrew words you need to know. I've burned two matches today because hallelujah is also on my top 10 list. So again, everyone jokes, my top 10 list is about 25 words long at this point. But certainly the word for law is one of the top 10 Hebrew words you need to know. It's the Hebrew word for Torah. It literally means teaching or instruction. Yes, there are laws in what we sometimes call the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, but that is to limit the range of its meaning. The word Torah means God's teaching, God's instruction, God's word to us. And the Psalms begin with a song about a person hearing and responding to God's word. So let me ask another question. What typically comes first for you when it comes to worship? Be honest. What comes first for you when it comes to worship? Is it our songs? They just need to play my song. I just worship so much better when they play that song. Is it our feelings? Are we prioritizing our emotions? We don't feel anything. We don't think we're really worshiping. Maybe it's our our schedules. A lot of people think when it comes to worship, their, their schedule comes first. If they can fit it in, if the game's, don't conflict. Maybe it's our worship style. Or in our church, sometimes I can hear some rumblings. It's our location. Am I worshiping outside? Am I worshiping inside? Am I worshiping online? Is nine o'clock outside or inside? Because that really matters because my location comes first. You laugh because you've heard the rumblings too. I listen, I hear things. I'm convinced that Psalm 1, as the headwaters of the Bible's hymnal, teaches that in worship, God's word is what comes first. This is why worship always begins with a call to worship. Notice that that's something that we do. There's always a a call to worship, and the call to worship is always from God's written word, the Bible. It's it's symbolic. And and again, sometimes some of these symbolic things, uh, if if we don't understand what's going on, we can miss them, or they can become rote or ritualistic, which is why I'm excited to explain some of these things in our series on worship. But it always begins with a call to worship, a call from God's word, because worship isn't our idea. It's God's idea. God calls us into it. It is by grace that we are saved. We cannot save ourselves. And it is by grace and God's initiating word that we worship and that we pray. And so... If God's worship begins with a call, then we, like the person in Psalm 1, must decide how we are going to respond to God's initiating word. So how do we respond to God's word in worship? Let's respond with sustained 
reflection. Again, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. That Hebrew word for meditate, not one of the top 10 Hebrew words you need to know, but an important word here for our study. The Hebrew word for meditate is related to the Hebrew word for mutter. It's as if God's word is constantly being chewed on. God's word is constantly on our lips. God's word is is more thoughtfully considered. I think there are too many Christians that are simply reading God's word and not reflecting on God's word. And when this psalm was written, the vast, when this psalm was written, the vast, vast majority of God's people could not read. They could only hear God's word in a, in a gathered assembly like this. They had to, to memorize it. And then how would they memorize it? How would they reflect on it? They couldn't pick up, pick up a book and start reading. They couldn't throw a 20-pound scroll on their back and hike around the desert. They put it in their mouth. They muttered over it constantly. Uh, Rich Sylvester told me just even this morning that he was researching this word, and and it it gets used in the Bible as a lion, a low growl, a lion over its prey, as if the lion sees its prey killed before it purrs, growls over it because the lion knows that this is what he needs to sustain his life. We chew on, we thoughtfully consider, we mutter over, we keep God's word in our mouths because this is what we need to sustain our life. I think oftentimes we get nervous about the word meditation. Because in our culture, when people say meditation, they often think about Eastern meditation. And Eastern meditation and biblical meditation are two completely different things that come from two different worldviews. The Buddha was convinced that our suffering in life was caused by our attachment to impermanent things. And so the Buddha's advice was to meditate to detach yourself from things that do not have permanence. Empty your mind. But Isaiah the prophet says, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God endures forever. And so we don't empty our minds. We fill our minds with the truth of God's word. That's what it means to meditate from a biblical perspective. We don't just read God's word. We reflect on God's word. I think there's a great example of this in Psalm 73. Psalm 73 reads like this. Truly, God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Now notice what this psalmist is doing. I believe this is a psalm of of Asaph, a man named Asaph here, is going, I know the truth 
from God's word is that God is good to Israel. I know that in my brain, but guess what? My eyes are seeing something different happen in the world. I, I'm seeing the, the wicked and the arrogant prosper. And, and God, if I'm honest, if the Psalms make the unsayable sayable, I, I gotta tell you, God, I, I'm actually jealous right now. I'm jealous of their prosperity. But he has God's truth in view. And the rest of the psalm is this beautiful picture of a man working through his frustration between the truth that he knows of God's word and what he sees happen in the world. Uh, last summer, uh, something difficult happened in my life. And Nina calls it, my response, Nina calls it when I go weekend at Bernie's, okay? If you ever remember this terrible movie from the mid-90s, I've never even seen the movie, but I've sort of, it's been enough in the cultural lexicon. I know enough about it to get the metaphor, but it was a terrible movie about two guys trying to stay at a beach house, but the owner is dead, and in order to keep staying at the beach house, they have to pretend like the owner's alive. And so they walk around with this corpse, you know, all over town. Hey, we're staying at Bernie's, right? So Nina calls it when I go weekend at Bernie's, kind of go catatonic. She feels like she's sort of dragging this corpse along with her wherever she goes. You know, the kids get home from school. They, she's like, say hello to your children, Travis. And... Uh, I realize in that moment that what brings me out of my weekend at Bernie State, I can't do it on my own. I'm not strong enough. Your pastor's not a strong Christian. I can't pick up my cross on my own. But in that moment, I can start reflecting on God's word. And one of the places that I go to frequently is Genesis 37.3 and Genesis, excuse me, Genesis 37.33 and Genesis 37.38. Because in Genesis 37.33, Jacob is convinced that his son Joseph is dead. And in Genesis, Genesis 37.38, uh, you read, meanwhile, Joseph has been sold into the house of Potter Potiphar in Egypt. Surely Joseph is dead. Meanwhile, God's up to something else. In fact, what God's up to is the salvation of his entire people through this man Joseph in Egypt. And so I start muttering. I start reflecting on one word. Meanwhile. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, God, what could you be up to in this situation? Meanwhile, and you keep that word in your mouth until God reveals it to you. And this is why Rich mentioned earlier, we have a pray the Psalms challenge. This is not just to read the Psalms. This is to pray the Psalms. There's space for you to write down, what is God saying to me through his word in the Psalms? How did I respond? And again, if you didn't pick up the challenge last week, start with Psalm 16 this evening. Again, Tommy already led us in Psalm 15. Tommy and Lynette led us in Psalm 15 this 
morning. Pray the Psalms. It's your opportunity to respond to God's word with sustained reflection. The booklets are in the foyer. And if you want an online uh, version, you can go to wcchapel.org slash follow me. Because in worship, God's word comes first. And so we respond to it with sustained reflection. And we respond to it with steadfast commitment. Look at verses three through four. What's this person like that is reflecting on God's word? He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Let me expand on this image of a tree. This person that's reflecting on God's word is like this tree. He's not like a flower. A flower can grow in a single season. He's not like a blade of of grass, which can grow in a few weeks. He's like a tree, which takes decades to grow, decades of staying put, decades of nourishment. Decades of doing the same thing. He's like a tree that is planted. This tree is not easily moved. This is not a potted tree. It's a planted tree. He's like a tree that bears fruit in season. No tree bears fruit in every season. It must stay put through the barren months if it's going to grow fruit in the next season. The tree's leaves don't wither, and and that's key to its production of fruit. The the leaves protect the fruit from the harsh rays of the sun, and the reason its trees don't wither is because it remains close to its life-giving source of water. And then verse four, the wicked are not so, but are like the chaff that the wind drives away. Before we get into the image of the chaff, let's just understand for a second the wicked because we can easily step back and go, well, I'm not wicked. That surely doesn't describe me. Well, listen to this definition of who the wicked are, especially in the book of Psalms, Proverbs, wisdom literature in the Bible. We should not think of the wicked as lowlifes, but rather as those who look out for themselves at the expense of the community. The wicked, they're not obviously plotting evil deeds. They're not treating their employees fairly. They're not being generous with God's community. They're not serving in the wider community. They're looking out for themselves. They're engaged in business practices that make good for them, but not good for the whole community. And so we can often be the wicked. We often are the wicked. And the wicked are like chaff. Chaff is dead. The tree is alive. The tree is immovable. The chaff is blown around by the wind of life circumstances and the emotions of the moment. And again, this is why calling everyone who 
I'm asking everyone who calls the chapel their church home to participate in the Pray the Psalms challenge. But if you want to take a step further, we have two more challenges. Choose the church and cease for Sabbath. How consistent are we in in choosing, worshiping with God's people? How consistent are we in taking a day of rest, ceasing from certain activities to rest more deeply in Jesus Christ? Because the poet here uses a, a fascinating word when he says the tree is planted by these streams of water. It's not the usual word for planted. And if, if whenever a poet sort of subs out the regular word and puts in a different word, it's a call to pay attention. It's actually the word for being replanted or maybe being transplanted. It shows the activity of a gardener around this tree. This tree didn't get next to this stream on its own. The church and Sabbath are are moments when we let the gardener fertilize our lives, when we let the gardener prune up our lives, cut off things from our schedule that are not helping us grow. Church and Sabbath are moments when we let the gardener pull up the weeds in our lives and, and tend to the garden of our lives. See, in worship, God's word comes first. And so we respond to it with steadfast commitment. So I started with this question, what what comes first in worship? Uh, Let me end with another question. What do you think will make you happy in life? Because I, I, I believe one of the difficulties of a sermon series on worship is if you're not yet following Jesus, you might go, what's in this for me? Well, I think the psalmist would say a lot's in it for you. What do you think will make you truly happy in life? See, the world tries to convince you that all kinds of products and experiences make us happy. I I was recently in in Durham working on uh, some writing for this um, professional development program that I've been a part of for the past couple of years. And, and after a long day of, of writing, I would get on my bike and I would make sure I, I got some good exercise moving my body after sitting down so much. And on one of my rides, I, I happened by this grocery store. It was called the Durham Co-op Market Grocery and Cafe. And uh, you know I love food, but that's not why I stopped. <laughs> I stopped because they're uh, their marketing just grabbed my attention. It said this, shop here, experience joy. Shop here, experience joy. Again, the world's gonna tell you all kinds of experiences and products are gonna make you happy. And I wish the world would be more honest. I wish the Durham co-op market would be more honest. Shop here, we'll have more money, you'll have less. That's what, the sign, that's what the sign should really say. Psalm 1 comes along and says, blessed is a certain kind of person. And that word blessed is, is not the religious blessing. It's actually the word for happiness. Happy is a certain kind of, of person. Those 
who are happiest in life are those who respond to God's word with greatest delight. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. This is why we stand for the reading of God's word in worship. We want our posture to be eager, anticipatory, ready to receive God's word with delight. Because when we get into God's written word, the Bible, God's living word, Jesus Christ, gets inside us. The, the, the whole chapel ministry was founded on this concept. Get people in the word. And the living word, Jesus Christ, gets into them. The living word, Jesus Christ, gets more fully formed in us because he's the first word of God. He's the word made flesh. He's the one who responded to God's word with the greatest delight for the joy that was set before him. Jesus endured the cross so that we might be replanted, reborn into God's family, the church that we might have our lives transplanted into God's kingdom and help, just like with churches loving schools, help God's kingdom come here on earth as it's already come in heaven. That's why in worship, God's word comes first. So let's respond with sustained reflection, steadfast commitment, and we're about to have an opportunity to also respond with joyful praise. Thank you for joining us today. Here at the Williamsburg Community Chapel, we are all about making disciples of Jesus Christ. So wherever you are in your spiritual journey, we hope you will take up this call of Jesus to follow me as we consider these disciplines for disciples. 